welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Good morning. Another week, week two. Uh, I'm Trevor. I'm director of student ministries here at Awaken, and uh, I want to give a special welcome to you if you are new or joining for the first time. Uh, We love that you're here. We'd also love to know that you were here. So if you would, uh, during or after the gathering, head on over to the Awaken website and fill out a connections card. And someone from our team will reach out, like to set up a meeting, uh, Zoom call, go for a walk, whatever you're comfortable with. Um, I'm here to start us in our call to worship this morning. And in recognition of the fact that this is our grief and loss week and we're spending some time in that this morning, um, it's been a hard year for all of us. um, And many of us have lost things in this last year, uh, places, people, loved ones, even ways of being. And so I want to create space to name that because we're in the building together and we've been doing that apart from one another. So... I'm going to read a piece this morning. It's by Frederick Buchner. Um, It's from a book called In a Room Called Remember. And it sort of speaks to this wilderness that we can experience on the other side of loss and the challenge and the comfort that it is to get to hold those things in community together. And then the invitation, at least for me, to remember, remember what we've lost, remember who we've lost. But more than anything, know that like we have people next to us that can be in that space with us. So that's what we're going to do this morning, and I'll read this over us, and then we'll worship together. Um, the they in this is God. To be commanded to love God at all, let alone in the wilderness, is like being commanded to be well when we are sick, to sing for joy when we are dying of thirst, or to run when our legs are broken. But this is the great and first commandment nonetheless. Even in the wilderness, especially in the wilderness, you shall love God. And the final secret, I think, is this. That the words, you shall love the Lord your God, become in the end less a command than a promise. And the promise is that, yes, on the weary feet of faith and the fragile wings of hope, we will come to love God at last, as from the first God has loved us. Loved us even in the wilderness, especially in the wilderness, because they have been in the wilderness with us. They have been in the wilderness for us. They have been acquainted with our grief. And loving them, we will come at last to love each other too, so that in the end, The name taped on every door will be the name of the one we love. Amen. If you want to find your seats, that'd be great. If you want to find your Bibles, that would also be lovely. Uh, We're in the book of 2 Corinthians this morning, and before we get to that, I'll just say a couple of things uh, by way of community life, things that we want you to be aware of. The first of which is, uh, there are some spiritual direction group informational, or, or there are some spiritual direction groups that we have at the church. There is an informational session about those happening on August 23rd. It's a Zoom meeting from 7 to 8. So if you are at all interested in spiritual direction uh, and, and groups that do that together, uh, which is essentially just intentionally listening uh, on behalf of those in your group for God and what God might be saying. Um, 
you can register for that uh, on the website, awakencommunity.com. And I think the registration deadline is the 16th, so be aware of that. Also, our kids' community and nursery were slowly but surely climbing the hill of volunteers needed to open that. Um, I've been told that we do need a team leader for both the nursery and the twos and threes room in order to open those. Um, so if you are interested in that, um, it requires more than a pulse. It requires more than just a heartbeat and a, you know, breathing lungs. We, we do want people who love kids and, and who are qualified. Um, but we sure do need some help in those areas. So please, um, Mandy is the person to talk to. You can email her at mandy at awakencommunity.com or check out the website. And then last but not least, related to kiddos, Camp Create Day 5 is open for registration. So kids, if you're in the room, if you want to have some fun, there's an art class and there is a songwriting class by one Sarah Groves, a real nobody in the Christian music world, right? So uh, a very capable teacher. Um, so if you want to pay attention to those, that would be great. All right, friends, let's get to it. We are in week two of a series called Proximate. Uh, we're looking to Paul and his letters to the church in Corinth to glean some wisdom on what it might mean to be back together again after 16 months or so of not meeting in this building. Now that we're together, we're in space with one another. Is there any wisdom Paul has for the church about being together? Uh, last week, we looked at Paul's encouragement in 1 Corinthians 11 about uh, the church being gifted, that we are uniquely gifted, there's a diversity of gifts, uh, and yet there is this weird, bizarre, divine, mysterious um, way in which we are one. Um, I added to that last week, as we come back together, uh, it's important for us to remember the thing that binds us together, right? There are unique gifts in this room, there's a diversity of gifting in this room, and there's a diversity of opinion and belief in this room even. And what binds us together is not our agreement on confessional matters or theology per se, but our unity in Christ, the one thing, the one needful thing, as the old-time covenanters would say. And so um, this week, we want to carve out some space to talk about suffering and grief and loss. Um, obviously, there is no shortage of things for us to talk about. Over the last 16 months or so, many of us have experienced the loss of something, whether it be the loss of a loved one, whether that be, um, well, some of our seniors lost senior years and they lost prom and all sorts of things related to that. We had kids who didn't go to summer camp. Um, we, we, many of us lost favorite restaurants and places to gather. Uh, ways of being together changed significantly. Some of us lost relationships or jobs. For sure, we lost the illusion of whatever control we thought we had, right? Uh, and all of this is unsettling um, in so many different ways. And so, uh, as a church, as a spiritual leader, I believe and we believe together that it's important to name and to speak those things out loud, to not pass those things by, uh, to not um, sort of steer around them, but to actually lean into them to press into them, to go there individually and together. And culturally, of course, if you've been in America or in the West or grew up around here, you might agree with me in that I don't think we do very well in this category, collectively. And so we want to try to do that. Uh, Richard Rohr this past week, if you uh, read his daily meditations, ironically enough, was writing all about grief this last week. And he says, perhaps the simplest and most inclusive definition of grief is unfinished hurt. He argues, and I agree, that the great wisdom traditions of which Christianity is included 
are continually encouraging us and, and trying, attempting to move us towards our pain and suffering and grief. Whereas often we want to take some pill to alleviate it or to mitigate it or to make it hurt less, arguably there is something to be learned here. Um, he would argue, and, and I agree, that grief can be and often is a liminal space. Liminal spaces are those places where our world, what we experience three-dimensionally, and the world of God, the divine, the spiritual world, where that veil that sort of divides those two realities gets very thin and transparent or translucent, and we, begin, we can see through it or experience it in very real and powerful ways. Um, actually, last week, um, I was sitting right here, and Jenna led us in a call to worship. I don't know if you remember that where she, uh, it was a blessing for the doors and these sort of transitional spaces that was, we enter into this room. And the invitation was to kind of close your eyes and imagine the people who have come before us and those who might be on the other side of the doors. And um, as I closed my eyes and I imagined uh, who might be on the other side, um, I actually saw my dad. Um, some of you know I lost my dad last year, about a year ago, to COVID. Um, and so even in my own grief process, I'm finding that as I lean into that and as I um, pay attention to it, God is meeting me there. My spiritual director has invited me to... He talked about his mom, actually, and how his relationship with his mom was terrible while she was alive, and that after she died, since her death, their relationship has grown and blossomed and become this beautiful thing. To which I said, how do you have a relationship with a dead person? He said, I don't know, Micah, but it's happened, and I would invite you to consider it. And so that's some of my work. What does it mean to have a relationship with somebody who is not with me anymore, but whose impact is present and remains, right? So even in my own grief, uh, I'm finding that that's true, that the space between my world and my reality and wherever God is active and working, there's an old, very old guy named Saint Ephraim the Syrian. He was alive in like 300. And he talked about tears as sacramental signs of divine mercy. He writes, "'Give God weeping and increase the tears in your eyes.'" Through your tears and God's goodness, the soul which has been dead will be restored. I don't know where you come from this morning or if you need that, but I sense that many of us do. I'm convinced that weeping and grief work happens at the edge of our control. Uh, it happens at the edges and the capacity, or the edge of our capacity, where it's only when we allow ourselves to kind of fall over the edge where we stop trying and we stop attempting to hold it all together and we fall over the edge into grief that we're able to allow the tears to flow for the emotion to actually be processed and be real in our lives. Um, maybe it's true that one's inability to weep and grieve wholeheartedly is in the end the inability to let go of control. I don't know that for certain, but I have a sneaky suspicion that that's true for me. And I wonder if it's true for you. And I really think that grief and suffering and pain and the processing and walking through that is a doorway to joy, true joy. 
The kind of joy that is unexplainable, that, that, that wells up inside of us. Like, not delight, you know, the, any, a, a child can experience delight. I'm talking about, like, unshakable joy. And I wonder if, like, is, is grief and, and pain and the experience of that really actually the prerequisite to be able to experience deep and profound, unshakable joy? Because we know something about the divine and ourselves as we walk that journey out. So this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, 1 actually, if you have your Bibles, turn there. And I'll invite you to stand as we read the scripture. We'll just read a couple of verses as Paul begins this letter to Corinth. He writes this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to the church of God in Corinth together with all his holy people throughout Achaia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. A very common beginning to Paul's letters, but then he does something very different. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we have ourselves received from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Pray with me. God, this morning as we lean into this passage that Paul writes and this idea of grief and suffering and loss, I pray that your spirit would be present to us in very real and powerful ways, that you would do the work that you so long to do in us, in me, that you would find us where we are and invite us deeper into the mystery that is you. We pray in the strong name of Christ and by the power of the spirit. Amen. You may be seated. So today what I want to do is I want to start kind of theological and ideological. I want to start up here and, and ask, like, how is it that Paul can say what he's just said to the church in Corinth? And then I want to move to more practical, like, what does that mean for you and for me? How do we actually become the comfort? That's this, my sermon title, in case you're wondering. Becoming comfort. We become the comfort. How does that happen? How is that even possible? Um... And just so you know, the, the book of 2 Corinthians, a little bit of history as we open this up, um, this is written after a very, uh, Paul has gone to visit them, and it did not go well. There was a, uh, we don't get the, the details of this, but we get little bits and pieces of it through, through Paul's letter and reference and mentioning. But something happened in Corinth where he went there, and a group of people challenged Paul. They, they called his authority as an apostle into question. They sort of called him out in front of everybody, and no one came to his aid. And he's a little bent out of shape about it, and the Corinthians are a little bent out of shape. And so there is a rift between the Corinthian church and Paul. And as he writes, he starts a little different because he wants to see are they willing to move towards him as he moves towards them? Are they willing to become comfort as he has offered comfort? And so he says in verse 3 that God comforts us in order that or so that we become comfort. So let's start there. Paul's favorite preposition in his letters is so that or in order that. It gets translated both ways. He uses it all the time. And he's essentially saying that... Um, God comforts us for a purpose or for a reason, and that reason is so that we might become comfort to one another, right? I ask my kids to take out the trash on Wednesday nights in order that the service that we pay for picks up the trash on Thursday, Thursday morning. Uh, we go to work Monday through Friday in order that we might 
earn a wage to provide for our families. We vote in elections in order that we might exercise our civic right and duty as citizens and participate in our life together. We donate money to organizations so, so that they might live into their mission, vision, and values, right? Employees must be committed to the change in order that it would be successful, you see? Paul says, God comforts us so that we might comfort one another. And I want, to, I want to argue this morning from a theological perspective that this is what God is like. That this is the nature and the heart of God being played out in practical theology in a local church. God's action, God's movement, God's engagement with humanity is in order that, so that, it is always generative, it's always... Uh, multiplicative, it's always exponential, it's always for more, it's never for God's self. If you think about the Bible, think about creation. God exists as Trinity, this beautiful, loving, self-giving relationship, and out of that God creates so that we might participate in this relationship of God's Trinity and love. Israel, the nation, in Genesis chapter 12, God says to Abram, I will bless you so that your family has it has a good a city on a hill so that you guys can watch as much Netflix as you want. No, of course not. I will bless you. Your, your, your descendants will be as many as the sand on the seashore so that the world might know. So that the world might be blessed. Even the sacrificial system, as weird and as chaotic as it sounds to us in 2021, is a so that moment. God says, if you need to know what your relationship with the divine is, I will give you this system so that there is no question about where you stand related to God. If you think about the psychology of belief and how that's evolved over time and you look back in the ancient world, that is a question that's being asked all the time. How do we know where we stand with the gods? How do we know that they're not angry or mad or they're not going to stop the rain from coming so our crops don't grow? How do we know? And God says, so that you know, I will give you this system. So there is no question for you. The prophets, God sends the prophets to Israel so that they might turn, repent, and listen. Of course, the obvious answer is Jesus. God sends the Son to the earth so that we might know what it means to be human, so that death and evil and tyranny and darkness may be defeated and vanquished forever, so that we may have eternal life. God will comfort you so that you comfort one another. It's always in order that, so that more love, more peace, more wholeness, more flourishing, not for God, but for creation. Because this is what God is like. So I'll stop for a moment and ask you, do you believe that? Is that the picture that you have of God? A God that is infinitely generous, abundant, overflowing with goodness and grace, love. And if not, why? If that's not your image of God, when you close your eyes and you imagine what God is like, if your image of God is something less than that or less beautiful than that, it's important for you to pause there and ask why. Where did that come from? One of my favorite questions, hi, So good to see you. Bye. One of my favorite questions to ask 
is who told you that? When any number of people in my home come and they say something that's maybe not accurate or less than true, who told you that? And if your image of God is less than beautiful, who told you that? Where did you get that from? Because I, I would argue, and I think it's a pretty good argument, otherwise I wouldn't be making it. If I had a different opinion, I would go get it. Or if I thought my opinion was wrong, I'd get a different one. I think this is true, that this is what God is like. And if that's true, then it's important to know that God is interested in your suffering, in your grief, in your pain. In the ancient world, and certainly in our world, I think you could argue, that there is this belief that God is distant, far off, not, not paying attention, busy, um, out to lunch, doing something more interesting than paying attention to your life. Pliny the Elder uh, was a philosopher. There's a great beer out of Russian River brewing in California called Pliny the Younger, and then they make this other one that I think is called Pliny the Elder. It only comes out once a year. People drive all the way across America to get it, so this guy may, must have been very important, right? Pliny the Elder said that a supreme being, whatever it be, pays heed to human affairs is a ridiculous notion. One of the more stunning verses in the Bible is Exodus chapter 2. If you don't know this story, Genesis happens and then the book of Exodus happens and the Israelites are found enslaved in Egypt and they cry out to the Lord, it says in chapter 2, during that long period, the king of Egypt died, the Israelites groaned in their slavery and they cried out and their cry rose to heaven because of their slavery and God heard their cry, he remembered them and his covenant and so God saw, looked on Israel, and knew them or was concerned about them. This is the God of the scriptures. This is also why the incarnation becomes so important. Philippians chapter 2, Paul says that God, Jesus, who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself humble, became a human, a human, became a servant, that was human and servant combined, a human, became a human and a servant even unto death. Why does that matter? Because God intimately knows your suffering and my suffering. Anything that humans have experienced, the depths of it, the depravity of it, the darkness of it, Jesus himself has walked through. So, Emmanuel is not just for Christmas, it's for today. You are not alone in that. If that's true, if Jesus was who he said he was and did the things that many people argue he did, then we, you, me, are not alone. Let me close with three questions. If this is true, if this is, that, that this is how God is revealed, that God is generative, generous, it's always so that, more than, uh, a multiplicative, exponential, in order that more life, more love, more healing comes to us, and God is interested in our suffering, not only interested, but intimately knows our suffering and therefore can comfort us, then three questions as we close. The first of which is dicey. Will we dare to thank God for our suffering? And I say this with great hesitation because this one gets weird sometimes in religious circles, and I want to name that. 
that somehow there's this idea that my suffering, my pain, my grief is authored by God. And so I should thank God for that in my life. And I am not saying that. But I am going to ask the question, will we dare or can we learn? Can we be formed and shaped in such a way that we can actually thank God for our grief, suffering, pain? Not because we believe God is the author of it, and certainly not because of how it feels in the moment, but because we're able to hold the present and the future together and also actually the past. Because for many of us, we have found God faithful in our pain and suffering. We have walked that journey out, and sure as the day is long, that is exactly what we've experienced of God. And so can we hold in the present what we've experienced in the past, if you have, and what we claim to be true in the future, that, this is the, that in our pain, in our suffering, in our grief, we know, because we know what God is like, what God will do, which is find me and find you, and walk with, be Emmanuel, not just at Christmas, but today. So can we learn to recognize grief and pain and suffering and loss, not just as detriment, not just as negative, but actually something that, as the ancients invite us, as we press into and lean into and walk through is a moment, a place, an opportunity to see and experience and know God because this is where God finds us, because this is what God is like. A second question, for those who have come to know God as comfort, will we be Christ to one another? Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about this idea in a book called The Cost of Discipleship where he's talking about confession And he says, as a brother or sister confesses sin to another brother or sister, they stand in this very holy and mysterious space of speaking the words of Christ over their brother. You are forgiven. And in that way, they become Christ to their brother or sister. Not saying that I am Christ or that you are Christ, but we act on behalf of. We act as Christ in that moment. Will we be God for one another in our comfort? Paul says, you've been comforted so that don't keep your comfort to yourself. This is where in community we need each other because some of you have walked this path of losing a parent before. Some of you have walked the path of wanting children and not have been able to have them. Some of you have walked the path of cancer. Some of you have walked the path of fill in the blank and I almost guarantee you, if you have your eyes open, someone with an experience like yours will will cross your path and lo and behold, you will become comfort for them. I watched this happen over and over in youth ministry, where events in my life became comfort to students that I was walking with. So will we as a community become comfort for one another? Which leads me to a final question. And that is, will you offer yourself vulnerably and authentically? Because friends, comfort takes two, does it not? Right, the old takes two to tango? You can't 
become comfort for someone who doesn't want your comfort or doesn't recognize or, or share or offer to you their pain or suffering. So community and church, as we gather back together, is a very interesting case study because whether uh, I would submit to you that we are made for each other, that this is the, the very nature of what it means to be human, and without relationship, we, we actually cease to be human. They've done studies on this where children don't have any human interaction. And they become feral. They become subhuman or inhuman without touch and relational connection to other humans. We are made for each other, which means that we are made for relationship with one, each other, one another. And when we experience pain and suffering and loss, we can be comfort to one another if we're willing to be authentic and vulnerable and say, I've lost something of great worth and I am really struggling. So this morning is an invitation for a couple of things. One, to imagine God as God is described in scripture and as I testify to God's being to whether or not that's true. Do you believe that? Number two, it's an invitation to be comfort for one another as a church, as a community. And then three, it's an invitation for you, should you need comfort, should you be walking through grief or loss or pain, to be honest, to let down whatever guard or walls that you have built or are preserving in order to protect yourself. And this is, this is the... This is the kicker, isn't it? <laughs> Your greatest joy and comfort being in another human being can also be the source of your greatest pain. And so when we get stung, when we offer ourselves once, and what we receive back is not comfort, it is very easy to take a couple of steps back and to put up a couple of more barriers. C.S. Lewis has this great quote about love where he says essentially, to love anything is to get your heart broken. And you can keep that from happening by protecting it and putting it in a coffin, uh, a box, and locking it and keeping it safe, but in that space, it will become inhuman. The only thing, or, or the only way forward as a human, is to love again, to be honest again, to be vulnerable again. And so this is the tension. I get it. I recognize it. I'm not saying this as if it's glib or trite, because it's hard work, and it's really dangerous. And yet, it is the only path to life. So friends, this is, has been a hard year. And many of us have experienced grief and suffering and pain and loss in all kinds of different ways. And these moments, this journey asks us, brings us face to face with what do we think God is like? And how will we as a community offer ourselves to one another? How will we be for each other and how will we offer ourselves to each other? 
before I move to this closing exercise, I'll, I think it's important to say when Paul wrote this letter, he didn't imagine a church of 500 or a church of 1,000. And he wasn't saying, be comfort to everybody. So in case you're here and you're like, geez, Louise, Mike, that's a lot of work. And I don't even know if I have that in me. You don't, and that's okay. Paul's imagination, who he has in mind here, are small groups of people, 10, 20, maybe 30 people, that you have actual relationship with. So I'm not asking you to be comfort for everyone in the church. And I can't be comfort for all of you as your pastor. Neither can Jenna, neither can Trevor. Which is why we break down this larger community into smaller groups of people. Whether that be spiritual direction groups or life groups or any number of communities that are small enough to be comfort for each other. So today as we close... I mentioned this last week, and if you didn't get this memo or see on the social medias, I, I apologize, but we want to create some space for us to hold loss together. Um, death is terrible. To do it alone is worse. And so many of us over the last 16 months since, since we have been together have lost loved ones. And Mel was sharing about an experience she had when we were talking about this day uh, where she went to a synagogue, actually, and in a liturgy worship service, I don't know exactly what they call that, um, there was a space where those who had lost loved ones could stand and in silence, the rabbi would made, made his way around the room and made eye contact with each of those people and the names of those ones who had been lost were spoken out loud in community. Nothing was said, no answers were given, but a name was spoken and heard, held together. And so that's what I want to do for the next few moments. Um, actually, would you turn off those fans? Um, if you could grab that one. Uh, and kiddos are here, and that's fine, and those are the sounds of life, right? But we want to attempt to create a very holy moment, a space, for us as a church to hear the names of those who we've lost. And so if you'd like to do that, I'm going to invite you just to stand right where you are, and I will sort of make my way around the room and I'll make eye contact with you. And if you would, just speak that name loudly so that we can hear. And then there'll just be a moment to hold that name together. And then I'll move to the next person, and then you can be seated. So if you'd like that opportunity, would you just please stand where you are? And we'll do that together. And then Mike and team that's going to lead us will close our time in song. So if you'd like to name a name of somebody that we've lost, and because you've lost them, we've lost them, because we're your community, um, please stand. I want to just offer a moment of silence for these names, and also for you if there's something else. Maybe it's not a loved one, but something that you have experienced as loss. Whether it's a relationship or a job or a dream. Just take a moment in silence to hold those.
their friends have uh, written a song that uh, we felt like was a really appropriate way to end our time. Um, grief and loss and pain, um, they are a unique experience to the human. And we all have it. We all go through it. And for better or for worse, life keeps going. It's almost like this gift that, in some ways, life goes on. And sometimes it feels unfair that like life just keeps going on. And we live in this weird tension between that, those realities. Um, and so we offer this to you in that spirit recognizing the losses and the grief and the pain that many of us are feeling and have named, but also as a word of hope that as life goes on, this is what God is like, that we are found, that we are not alone, and that there is healing Paul, at the end of his letter to the Romans, offers this benediction. And I say it every once in a while um, when I feel like it, it fits. And it's a little different than the one I typically give, but I want to offer it to you this morning. So wherever you are and however you've come this morning, however you leave, It's our hope and prayer as a church to be a kind of people that walk with and hold one another, that leave the needed space to grieve and to speak the things that we've lost and to walk out those journeys of lament and of grief. All the while being whatever we need for one another. So sometimes you may come and you can't sing. That's okay. There are people that will, that can. And sometimes you may come and you may have more questions or anger for God than you do love or worship, and that's okay. That's welcome too. And together we'll keep taking steps towards God. So would you please stand if you are able, uh, receive this benediction, and then... When I'm done, I would just ask that we honor the space that we've created. And so if you need to stay, if you want to stay and just sit, um, we'll queue up something in the back that's not going to bother you. And um, you can do that. Paul says, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Spirit. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the church said together, Amen. Grace and peace, my friends. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com. 
backslash Awaken Community. Or on Twitter, Awaken Community. See you next time.